the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. All right, what did I miss? You're going to have to fill me in. Because I stayed away from it. I tried to get myself just enough of a breather, just enough of a... An opportunity to recharge for this stretch run, as we are now three weeks away from deciding the future of this country, that we will live for ourselves and that we will leave to our kids. Good morning. Thanks for being with us. Eight minutes after the hour of nine o'clock. It's a Monday morning. It is the 17th morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord 22. Let's make this count. Uh, I want to start by saying thank you so very much for... um, all of your support every day, whether I'm here or whether I'm not. And uh, I am so very blessed to have some tremendously talented people who are willing to sit in this chair and occupy this microphone when I'm not around. And I did take a little mini break. You know, all it was, it wasn't even a planned vacation so much as it was fall break for my daughter at Hillsdale. They had fall break, and we wanted to spend some time with her and do some things. Uh, uh, so we went down to Nashville for uh, a few days, and uh, it's been a place we wanted to see. We've been to Gatlinburg and done some uh, done some uh, Tennessee things before, but uh, never been to Nashville. And uh, so we got a chance to go down there for a few days, and um, 
it's so so much fun and and I am recharged and I am re-energized and I am refocused and I am ready to help lead this charge for Republicans and conservatives in that order no probably conservatives and Republicans in that order definitely uh heading into the November 8th midterms early voting is obviously underway so hopefully we are making good decisions smart decisions and we're going to talk about that this morning and every morning all the way through November 8th so uh, I'm very blessed to have some uh, guest hosts uh who are willing to sit in this chair as I said and Take you through the uh, news of of the mornings, uh, giving you a lot to think about. So thank you to Rob Walgate, who was in last Wednesday. Thank you to Peter Kersenow, who was in last Thursday. And thank you to Khalid Namar, who was in on Friday. Obviously, as I was out of state, I did not get to hear those broadcasts, but I don't need to hear them to know the quality. Because A, I know the folks, and I trust them. Wouldn't have asked them to do the job if I didn't think they'd be phenomenal. And secondly, I get reports, and I don't solicit them. I don't have spies, but listeners send me messages and send me emails and tell me uh, all the time about the great things that they hear uh, in my absence. So I just, uh, I just want to say I'm very blessed and I'm very appreciative of all of their efforts, Rob and Pete and uh, Khalid. You guys are, you guys are simply the best. So there's a lot of things to get into today. Like I said, I'm charged up and ready to go. I've got a lot of things to discuss with you. I've got a lot of questions to ask of you. I've got one guest who's going to be joining me this morning. We, one thing I know when I kind of came on and tongue-in-cheek and I said, uh, or I asked what I missed, uh, I know one thing I missed on the first day I was gone on Wednesday, and that is the vote, which was also missed. There was supposed to be a vote in the Ohio Board of Education on the resolution introduced, the Common Sense Protective of Children resolution put forth by board member Brendan Shea, and there was supposed to be a vote to adopt that resolution, which says we will reject the new Title IX changes being put forth by the Biden administration because of the extraordinary unfair nature of those two kids, particularly to girls. And so... You know, this was this was just such an extraordinarily important uh, thing to vote on to find out. You know, uh, the next day, actually, I had some people contact me on uh, Thursday and said, you know, they didn't vote yesterday. I said, what do you mean they didn't vote? I said, yeah, they punted. They kicked it down, which essentially is the same thing as defeating it. So we're reaching out to Brendan Shea uh, to get him to come back on to talk about what happened. Today we are going to speak with uh, Amy Kissing- Kissinger, though, <clears throat> She has been extremely outspoken and on top of every single element of this um, uh, since the resolution was introduced. And she, like many other uh, activists and conservative leaders and protectors of children, people like Jonathan Broadbent, people like John and Diane Stover and so many others, uh, you know, uh, Linda Harvey, um, they're all they're all outraged by this. Uh, but we're going to talk to Amy about it this morning and talk about where it goes from here. That won't be until 1035. So that means we have wide open opportunities for you to be a part of our program. In the, uh, it's Monday, and you're probably saying, what about Jordan? Yeah, Jim Jordan will be on Wednesday. He's traveling this morning. So he will be on with us Wednesday morning at 935. So no Congressman Jordan, but we will talk to Amy, and we will talk to you at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers is just fine by me. Dial us up, and you can be our first guest, perhaps. All right, before we get started, though, with the news of the day, what do you say we go ahead and rise? Patriots, it's been a few days since I've asked you to do this. Face your flag. Put your hand on your heart and join us for our Pledge of Allegiance. If you are a believer in Biden's proclamation that our economy is strong as hell, If you are a believer that 
children in Ohio schools don't need to be separated by their sex when it comes to matters of competitiveness and matters of privacy and matters of, of, of states of undress and so forth. If you are a believer that the Biden administration, and let me rephrase, if you are a believer in Joe Biden's proclamation that if the Republicans win on November 8th, inflation is certain to rise, guaranteed, he said, <laughs> well, uh, then you certainly have no earthly idea what you're pledging your allegiance to anyway. You are exempted from the request to uh, join us for this Pledge of Allegiance. Uh, you may take a knee instead next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, however, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That's uh, that's a real tweet. Multiple times, multiple times, the Biden account on Twitter has tweeted in the in the past few days that if the Republicans win in November, prices will rise and inflation will rise. It's guaranteed. It's just astounding. It's astounding. I'm not going to go all into this right now, but I mean, you know that inflation, when Donald Trump was president, was never more than 1 to 1.3%. In the Biden 21 months, it peaked as, so far at 9.3%, has been consistently at 8.5% month after month after month. And he literally is, on, well, again, his team is on the Biden Twitter account tweeting. If you let Republicans win, inflation will rise and prices will rise. I guarantee it. I mean, it, this is just like how 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 do they let those those things go out? Uh, if I was Joe Biden, if I was on Team Biden, if I was a member of the communications uh, uh, department, if I was in that realm, I would be hiding from the word inflation. I'd be hiding from it. I wouldn't want anything to do with it because anytime somebody thinks of inflation, they're going to know the truth. They're going to have the reality here that Joe Biden is is responsible in his policies for the the worst inflation we have suffered in this country in over forty years. It's it's not it's not a debate. It's not it's not a question because it's really it's really happening in front of our eyes right now. I've got a story in front of me. Thanksgiving is uh, a month away. And families are suffering from anxiety about whether or not they're going to be able to afford uh, to put the traditional Thanksgiving meal on the table for their families, for their relatives. They can't be sure because it's that bad. And this guy's talking about inflation on Twitter, telling everybody that inflation is going to be worse if the Republicans win. Inflation has only, I'm going to read it to you directly. The most recent one is from yesterday. From President Biden's POTUS account, quote, if Republicans in Congress get their way, prices will go up and inflation will get worse. It's that simple, end quote. That's it. That's the tweet. That's all he wrote. And he has written it, well, again, his team has written it for him many, many times. And it's just astounding to me that he would even think about letting the word inflation escape his lips or be put out there, uh, you know, in the middle of this uh, stretch run, because inflation is the number one issue. Inflation and the economy are the number one issues that the American people have. And it's not close, which is what makes it so bizarre, too, that you have Joe Biden out there 
and where was he floating around and milling around when he was eating some ice cream? Uh, he was asked about, oh, he was in, uh, in Oregon. He was in Oregon. Don't know what he was doing out there. He probably got lost. He made the wrong turn off the stage and ended up in Oregon. Uh, but he was in Oregon munching on an ice cream cone, just living his best dementia-addled life and was asked about the state of the U.S. economy, which, of course, is in, an, in a, a period of recession right now. We have had two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth, not to mention the aforementioned 40-year inflation high. So we have all of this going on, and he's standing there eating an ice cream cone, listening to people ask him questions, when he uttered a phrase that is just, it's just mind-boggling, but let's listen to it. All right, where are you, Joe? Come on. I'm not concerned about the Trinidad Valley. I'm concerned about the rest of the world. Does that make sense? Yes. Our economy is strong as hell. The internal. Inflation is worldwide. Worse off everywhere else than it is in the United States. <laughs> I know it's hard because it's not an official interview, and he's talking while munching on a waffle cone. Filled with his favorite flavor, whatever that may be. He was asked specifically about the if he was concerned about the economy. And he said, no, I'm not worried about our economy. I'm worried about the rest of the world. Our economy is strong as hell. Let me reiterate. We are in a recession. An official, technical, confirmed recession. Our economy is shrinking. Our inflation rate is unmanageable. It is something that cannot continue. 8.2% inflation, 8.5% inflation, 9% inflation, what we've had over the course of the last three or four months, is simply unsustainable. It cannot continue. And his response was, nope, our economy is strong as hell. He went on to say, and again, you couldn't hear it because it was kind of off mic there. He went on to say, the inflation is worldwide and ours is better than many of those around the world. The reality is... The cost of the ice cream that Joe Biden was munching on there is 13.6% higher uh, compared to what it was a year ago. Okay? 13.6. We hear those numbers. We hear those economic numbers and the inflation numbers at 8.2% or 8.5% or whatever it may be. And people are already astounded by that considering it was like 1% to 1.2%, 1.3% when Trump was in office. We hear those numbers and we're like, that's awful. But you haven't heard anything yet. Because that's not the real inflation number. The real inflation number, particularly when you start looking at uh, kitchen table type goods, is 13, 14, and 15 percent. If you look at the wholesale number, it is astounding how much our manufacturers, our producers, uh, people who, who, who put the things that we need on our, our, on our tables and on our homes and in our garages and so on and so forth, their costs are much, much higher. And the rest of what we have to pay, according to the Consumer Price Index, um, is is just, like I said, it's a fraction of the real cost of inflation. Core inflation, which takes out energy and food costs, itself is at 6.6%, which is, again, devastating to most middle uh, middle-class American families. But he literally stood there, munching on ice cream, sniffing hair, And saying, our economy is strong as hell. This is completely out of touch. An old man munching on an ice cream cone, delivering dementia, 
addled remarks about an economy that he does not understand at all, perhaps is the reason why the GOP's generic lead in the midterm election uh, polling has nearly doubled in a week. Wait, what? You remember, right? We talked for the better part of this year in the earlier part of the summer, like in the in late spring, early summer, and we talked about what's going to happen in the midterms. Well, red wave, red tsunami, red tidal wave, all of those things. And I believed it because I was on the air saying them. Then over the course of the last, I don't know, month, month and a half, maybe six, eight weeks, somewhere in that neighborhood, we started hearing, you know, particularly because of Roe versus Wade, the Democrats are more fired up than ever. You know, they really like killing babies. Nobody messes with their right to kill babies, you see. Uh, the blue is coming back. There may not be a red wave at all. In fact, it may not even be a close red win. You might have the Democrats hold the House and hold the Senate. That's what we were told, right, over the last uh, 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 month or so? Well, I've got news for you. The tide has shifted again. The red tide, to be precise. Confidence in the GOP route on Election Day gained support on Friday when a new survey showed a massive gain for Republicans in the so-called generic ballot. Already with a high four-percentage-point lead over the Democrats, the gap has nearly doubled to a seven-point generic GOP lead. And the generic means uh, just a generic Republican against a generic uh, Democrat. Who do you trust more to lead the economy? Who will you vote for? Blah, 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 blah. Um, The vote prefers Republicans 48 to 41, just 7% unsure. That gap is significant because those polls typically underestimate the size of Republican support. Several GOP pollsters have said that a Democrat lead of three points, for example, typically signals a big GOP win. So a GOP seven-point lead is going to lead to a monster, monster win. But that is only if we do what we have to do in the next three weeks. That's our point. We cannot coast and just sit here and say, well, look at that. It's over. Because look at what the latest numbers show. The numbers don't mean anything if you don't follow through. Here's a dirty little secret when it comes to political polling. And it may not be a secret to you. Republicans don't like to answer polls. Do you? I don't. I get these calls and I get text messages asking for polling. uh, And I don't answer them. Number one, it's not my business. Number two, I don't need to tell the Democrats what the real numbers are and let them then have to strategize around them. So I don't, I don't do it. And I think that according to numerous polling services, their uh, sample size is usually much, much smaller of Republicans than it is of Democrats because Republicans don't like to respond. And I think that that means when you look at the number like this, 4841, Considering most Republicans probably aren't answering those phones and and responding to those texts or taking those surveys, I think it might be even bigger than that. Let's just hope that Republicans who don't respond do not correlate with Republicans who don't vote. Do not think for one second that this polling data makes us safe. Because if you think, well, I don't have to go stand in the line. I don't have to make the drive to the uh, Board of Elections and, and early vote. I don't have to put through, forth the effort. If you think that, because your vote isn't going to matter because we've got this locked up, we will be delivered the shock of a lifetime. And most importantly, our lifetimes will be forever altered if that happens on November 8th. 
So I'm excited about the numbers. I'm excited to hear Joe Biden trying to lie to the people and tell them that the economy is secure and strong as hell and everything else. Uh, and I'm glad that, that Republican voters know what the score is. I hope we make sure that over the next three weeks we ramp up that momentum, ramp up that energy, and deliver that wave. Okay, it's 925. Um, I've got a lot of other things to talk about, but I do have uh, room for you. Plenty of open phone line opportunities for you at 216 I kind of asked tongue-in-cheek when I started the show this morning, what did I miss in the time while I was gone? If you want to tell me, if you want to answer that question, tell me what's most important to you, we'll take those calls, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110, right back after the news. Okay, 936, Always Right Radio, back in action after a few days off. Thanks again to my uh, guest hosts who were in with me last week. Thanks to you for showing them the courtesy and the respect and the uh, hospitality that you do for me when you welcome me into your mornings every day. So I appreciate that. We've got a lot of work to do. So um, the best headline I think that I have seen uh, with respect to the vote uh, or the non-vote, if you will. They didn't vote on the resolution. Instead, they voted on pushing the resolution uh, by the Ohio Board of Education this past Wednesday. The best headline came from Linda Harvey on Mission America. Cowardly vote tables gender resolution at Ohio State School Board. That's the word. It is cowardly. Linda writes, The resolution at the Ohio State Board of Election opposing harmful gender ideology in schools did not pass the board on Wednesday, unfortunately. It was referred to the executive committee for further action. The solid conservatives on the board did not vote for this cowardly delaying tactic, but they were not enough to keep this from happening. Apparently, some folks do not want the record of their votes to show up before the November election. This is the resolution that confronted the enormous problems in the Biden administration's proposed changes to Title IX. We've covered this in, in, in depth. I hope I'm not being too redundant for you. But for those who don't know about this, I'm going to give you a little bit more about what Linda wrote here. And I may even refer you back to the interview I did with Brendan Shea a couple of weeks back, uh, in which we discussed in depth his resolution, which was common sense in protection of kids and in stopping the sexualization of young children which is exactly what the movement is doing right now. But Linda writes, or continuing, um, this is the resolution that confronted the enormous problems in the Biden administration's proposed changes to Title IX, the law banning discrimination based on sex in schools, protecting female opportunities like sports. The proposed changes would redefine sex to include gender-confused males, along with many other harmful and destructive pro-LGBTQ changes. If in a, and I'm going to opine there for a moment as well. Gender confusion is a medical condition, one that requires treatment. Now, the difference between reasonable, common-sensible people and leftists is the type of treatment required. Common-sensible people say if someone is gender-confused, you deal with their confusion. You offer them psychological, 
or psychiatric or therapeutic or uh, mental wellness, whatever t- whatever you want to call it, you help deal with their confusion because their body isn't wrong. Their body isn't wrong. Their body, body is XX or it's XY. It is male or it's female. There is no third option, and people need to understand and accept that. There is, there is one way to do it is the... The, the right way, which is to deal with the confusion. The other way, the leftist way, is mutilate their bodies. Now, you tell me which one should be the preferred method of dealing with, quote-unquote, gender-confused people. Mutilate their bodies, forever alter them, and by the way, never going to change them from male to female or female to male. It can't happen. It's not possible. I don't care how much plastic surgery is done, how much makeup is worn, What types of different cross-dressing clothes are put on? It doesn't matter. You cannot change a male to a female and a female to a male. All you can do is genetic, or excuse me, is surgically mutilate the bodies of these individuals. I've used this goofy example before and I'll use it again now because it makes sense. It just clarifies. If I surgically remove all four legs of a dog and surgically attach fins, have I created a fish? Or do I have a surgically, physically mutilated dog? It's still a dog. That's the reality. And the the other part I need to point out here as I take a look at Linda's summary of this is this gender-confused part. That the number of people that are truly gender-confused is so microscopic, meaning gender dysphoric, It's hard to even comprehend. We're talking about less than 1% of the population actually has gender dysphoria, a condition in their mind where they cannot seem to reconcile with the fact that they are what they are. And those are the people who need that, that, that psychological counseling, that therapy, whatever you want to call it. Those people that make up less than 1% of the population, the rest of these 20% of Gen Z, which now identifies as LGBTQ, the overwhelming majority, the fastest growing population being the T, the trans and LGBTQ. And trans can mean everything from, you know, male to female, female to male, male to both. I'm both male and female, female to neither. I'm neither female nor male. I'm just a thing. I mean, all of the different goofy, uh, you know, things that they've come up with are all part of of the movement there is a movement afoot there are groomers actively working to sexualize children by teaching them about sexuality in an age where they have no idea what sex is sexuality sexual attraction sexual orientation this is a movement to expand and grow politically the lbgbtq uh, power, if you will. And they are indoctrinating and grooming kids at a rate that is impossible to comprehend in school. Did I? Did you hear what I just said? I saw the number a couple of days ago. I was reading an article, and over 20%, over 20% of Gen Z, do you know how many millions of people that represents? Now identify as LGBTQ in some way. Do you really think that 20% of the population of any generation is LGBTQ? No. They are being coerced. They are being um, directed 
by teachers, by preschool teachers, sometimes by parents, and by social media influencers to be something other than what they are. Be something, be anything, be different so that you can be accepted. If you're just a plain old straight white male or a straight white female, in particular the the race matters, yes, you're nothing and you are going to be targeted. If you want to be a part of an ex- of a group, if you want to be the, the, the eye in the diversity, inclusion, and equity uh, part of things, you better find something other than what you are. That's what's happening here. And who are the victims of this, this radical movement? Girls and women, primarily, because they lose the identity of what it means to be a woman, what it means to be female. If somebody can just say, I feel like one, therefore I am... The exclusive pride, I guess, if you will, uh, of what it means to be woman, to be unique, is just gone. And I see so many actual women talking about how they are just disgusted. And they are so offended by the notion of somebody saying, you know, a, a man in a beard putting on a dress and saying, I'm like you. I'm a woman. In fact, I'll, I'll depart from Linda's discussion of this uh, on Mission America for a moment. To play this clip, it's 15 seconds long. It's from a uh, beauty product um, Twitter feed. Ulta Beauty is the name of the company. And I want you to remember it so that perhaps you can remember to never purchase any of it. But that'll be up to you. But there's a clip here that was tweeted by Ulta Beauty, and its headline, or its caption rather, is Trans Girls Can Do It All. Tune in to the latest episode of The Beauty Of, where host David Lopez sits down with guest Dylan Mulvaney to chat all things girlhood. The problem is, neither one of them are girls. In fact, one of them has a full beard complimenting his long blonde hair in his female clothing. The other one doesn't go bearded, but just listen to the 15 seconds. Now I know I can find love. I know I can still be a performer. I know that I can have a family. I want to be a mom one day, and I absolutely can. And that's why the narrative still has a long way to go, because when I was grieving Boy Dylan, I didn't know those things were even accessible to me. This guy says, I want to be a mother one day. And I absolutely can. Um, I'm going to steal the line from Allie Beth Stuckey, who responded to this, by saying, no, you cannot. You can buy all the eggs. You can rent all of the wombs. You can wear all of the makeup you want, but you cannot be a mother. And that's okay. Accept what you are. Don't try to be something you can't. It is an insult to mothers for this biological male who has testes and not ovaries, who has XX chromosomes and who does not have a uterus and does not have the ability to conceive nor bear children to say that I want to be a mother someday and I absolutely can. No, you can't. No, you can't. And you can go ahead and adopt a child if you want. But you still can't be a mother because you're not a woman. So these these types of things just need to be called out for what they are. They need to be called out, and and this stuff needs to be um, nipped in the bud, if you will. 
So back to Mission America and Linda Harvey's discussion of the gender resolution bill by Brendan Shea and the Ohio Board of Education that was referred to the executive committee rather than voted upon for passage, which would, uh, which would decline the changes to Title IX put forth by the Biden administration. If enacted, Linda writes, these proposed changes will usher in gender and homosexual tyranny into schools and allow schools to withhold critical information from parents. That's the key. We thank Brendan Shea for putting forth this resolution. Uh, to For Mike Toll, for his helpful amendment, and for John Hagan, Diana Fessler, Jenny Kilgore, and Kirsten Hill, who have been strong, dependable votes protecting children. We will see where this goes in the future. The board member who suggested delaying this delaying tactic is Tim Miller, a DeWine appointee who is now running for state school board in District 10, Summit and Geauga counties. We reach Summit and Geauga counties, and guess what? I'm going to do exactly what you would think I would do. Tell you to not let Tim Miller win that race. We do not need, Linda writes, uh, weak and cowardly people on the state school board or people who support the destructive LGBTQ agenda. His opponent is Sierra Lynch Shehorn, who is endorsed by Ohio, Ohio Value voters. You can add my name to that endorsement. And it appears Linda's and Mission America's as well. Wasn't eight hours of testimony enough? Linda writes, not, I guess, if you don't want to lose an election. Nevertheless, it was great seeing so many people testify in support of this resolution, even though there were many testimonies on the other side, and it was painful to hear of the misinformation and self-centered attitudes. So many people have bought the lie that there are inborn LGBTQ identities, even for kids. This is not inborn, and no one has to go down these roads. Sadly, the Title IX proposed changes, if they ultimately are enacted, will cement in our schools the high-risk homosexual and gender deviance agenda and usher many more impressionable changes children into these identities and behaviors we will not give up we will keep fighting and then linda was kind enough to list the record of the 12 to 7 vote to delay the resolution sending it to executive committee and ultimately sending it to its death um quick points to follow up on that just to say and and the names that she gave by the way you know walt davis uh john diana fessler john hagan kirsten hill jenny kilgore brennan shea and mike toll all said no uh a bunch of dewine appointees Sue Hackett, Brandon Kern, uh, Paul LaRue, uh, Martha Manchester, uh, Tim Miller, which we mentioned. These individuals, appointed by Governor DeWine, refused to support the amendment. Mike DeWine, for those who don't know, at one time was the Attorney General of this state. And at that time, he made it very, very clear where he stood on parents' rights in schools and school and indoctrination and these types of, of things that are now considered to be, you know, the new hotness. Mike DeWine at one time protected Title IX and protected girls. Now he can't and won't. Why? He's got a 20-point lead in the polls. He doesn't want to rock the boat. And that's why he refused to step up and make a statement, and to tell his appointed board members this is where he stands, perhaps influencing them to vote in, first of all, opposing the referral to executive committee, and second of all, voting to approve and pass the actual Shea resolution. Mike DeWine could have stepped up and done something here, and he refused because he's a cowardly little weasel that I will never, ever, 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 ever consider casting a vote for again. That's right. On November 8th, I will not be voting for Mike DeWine. Not a chance in living H. 
No. He refuses to do what's right. You know who else? Dave Yost. We're supposed to be proud of our attorney general because from time to time he does a good thing. He also refused to step in and weigh in on this. Like DeWine did when he was attorney general. Yost won't do anything now that he is attorney general. He could have tried to influence some of these uh, board members. He stayed silent. You know who else who stayed silent? The chairman of the ORP, who stood, sh- shouldn't still be chairman, but Bob Paduchik. He refused to get into this and encourage the majority, Republican, and uh, DeWine-appointed Board of Education to protect girls and to protect parents' rights from, in, uh, from uh, indoctrination of their kids in schools. None of them will do anything about it. That's why I have said before, and I will say again every day on the radio, and I'll say it in speeches, and I've got plenty of those coming up. Um, I'm going to say it to every Republican group that I, that, I, that I see. We have to change the Republican leadership in this state because it is filled with Democrats masquerading as Republicans. You might call them rhinos. That's fine, but I don't think that's strong enough. If they govern like Democrats and act like Democrats, I'm just calling them Democrats with an R after their name. That's the reality. Ohio is the weakest red state in all of the Union, in the entire republic, if you will. So much Republican voting power used so feebly, so weakly, so cowardly. It's repugnant, and it all stems from Leadership. DeWine, Paducek, leadership in the General Assembly, they refuse to do what's necessary, to do what's right by our children, do what's right by girls, what's right by women, and so on. I welcome your thoughts at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Right back. Always right radio. It's outrageous and it's dangerous. On the answer, it's outrageous. Okay, nine fifty-seven. Let's uh, take a phone call here. Sally is in Berea. Sally, you're on the air. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. I good am just good morning. I I am still outraged and get madder and madder every time I think about the fact that Ohio voters. The majority of them have been disenfranchised by the tabling of the urgent Shea resolution. And we need to continue to push back constantly to prevent the child abuse of our young children. Well, it is exactly that. It is child abuse, and um, and you, you're right. We are disenfranchised. We have no we have no options here. You know, we should have we should have a strong Republican governor here who would be. You know, do you, are you aware of what Dewine did in 2016? Um, she's did a lot of things that are specific to this. Specific to this, I'm going to read this. In fact, let me let me just keep listening, Sally, because I'm going to I'm going to read this going into the break. In 2016, May 27th of 2016, when Mike DeWine was the Attorney General of this state, he wrote a letter to the Attorney General of the United States, DOJ, Loretta Lynch, also the Secretary of Education, John King. So this is in May of 2016, the last year of Obama. 
Dear Attorney General Lynch and Secretary King, subordinates within your departments on May 13, 2016, released what they styled a Dear Colleague letter decreeing a certain legal obligation of schools at all educational levels, including school districts, colleges, and universities that receive federal funding. The letter purports to recite rules that schools must follow for uh, concerning access for transgender students to, quote, restrooms, locker rooms, and shower facilities, and housing, and the like. For example, with regard to restrooms and locker rooms, uh, the letter states that a school must allow transgender students to use such facilities consistent with their gender identity as determined by the individual's internal sense of gender, and further specifies that a school may not require t- uh, transgender students to use individual user facilities when other students are not required to do so. This attempt to nationalize and politicize the way schools address gender identity issues down to the level of school locker rooms, showers, and bathrooms might be dismissed as simple bureaucratic arrogance were it not so potentially harmful to our civil Discourse, civic discourse and to the important rights and needs of all the school children involved. Your assistants apparently have concluded that people of good faith across this country, informed by basic decency and common sense of their communities, cannot be trusted to work through any particular locker room problems of this sort. Instead, the premise of the letter is that local solutions undertaken in good faith must be displaced by edicts from Washington. As the chief law enforcement officer of the state of Ohio, I write to advise you that this judgment of the Dear Colleague's letter is wrong, both in its elitist disregard for our 21st century communities and as a matter of law. I'll stop there because I've got news now, but do you understand what I'm saying? Mike DeWine was firmly against this in 2016 as attorney general. Now he's silent as he runs for re-election as governor. That's what I'm talking about, and we'll be back. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward we go into our number two on this Monday. Thanks for being with us. The 17th morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. We did not have Jim Jordan on last half hour. If you're wondering and maybe you missed it and you're mad at yourself, it's okay. He was traveling this morning. He'll be with me on uh, Wednesday at the same time at 935. So I'm looking forward to that. Coming up in a half an hour, we're going to talk with a member of the Ohio State Board, uh, uh, um, School Boards Association, rather. Uh, Board of Trustees, uh, Amy Kissinger, is going to be joining us. We're going to talk about what happened with this Shea resolution and how it got punted to the executive committee. First time I talked to Amy Kissinger was about a month ago. or No, three weeks ago. It was the end of September. And she sent me a, a, a link to something and said, please sign this petition. And I took a look at it, and she said, all of you Republicans who plan to vote for Rhino DeWine, maybe you can call him and let him know that you expect his nine appointees to the State Board of Education to vote like the conservatives they're supposed to be. The message being support Brendan Shea's resolution to support parents and schools and reject harmful, coercive, and burdensome gender identity policies. Please know this battle is about love, not hate. We love our children. We must do everything possible to protect them and to protect the rights of parents and women. And then it was, there's a little graphic here that I thought was terrific. Act now. The Biden administration is seeking to change Title IX. What does this mean for your children? Under the guise of civil rights, the following policies would become mandatory. Schools would be urged to hide information from parents. 
including gender transition. Biological males would be in girls' sports. Students and teachers will be punished for sexual harassment if they, quote, misgender or use a pronoun for a boy or a girl other than what they prefer. And bathrooms, locker rooms, overnight field trip housing will no longer be based on biological sex. Those are just some of the things. She sent me this and said, Bob, please sign this petition. And I said, amen, uh, and let's do that. And then we got to some other information, and i got to tell you, I just she's, she's a very, very uh, active and outspoken person on this, and um, I'm very, very glad to have her on. So she's going to be joining me in about a half an hour. Again, she's with the Ohio School Boards Association Board of Trustees. She's also a board member uh, of a district, but she's not speaking to me uh, on their behalf. This is all about the Brendan Shea resolution that was kicked uh, down the road on, on uh, last Wednesday. So phone lines are open now at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Either one, either one of those numbers will bring you here. I want to pivot to uh, something a little larger. We've been staying on most of, mostly this uh, state stuff uh, so far today, but I want to pivot to something a little larger for the segment. <clears throat> I um, was in Washington, D.C. last month and um, spent three days in D.C. talking to lawmakers, talking to uh, pivotal members of our national security team as it pertains to border control, border enforcement, or the lack thereof. And uh, I learned an awful lot. And one of the things that I learned, that there is not a strong appetite among many in our federal government and among many in the Democrat, in the Democrat Party for something called national sovereignty. What is national sovereignty? It means that we remain a nation that is not uh, under the control or under the rules or uh, under the influence of any foreign country. I mean, do, can we have you know allied relationships? Of course we can. Can we have agreements on trade? Of course we can. Should we be in any way, shape, or form looking to other countries for policies on how to lead the American people and what we should be allowed or not allowed to do? Absolutely not, which is what made this so astounding. That there is a movement to essentially give up our national sovereignty and accept the neighbor to the north, Canada, the neighbor to the south, Mexico, as equal partners in a North American union. That we would make decisions based on the continent and what is right for the continent rather than what is right for the American people. It's a flat-out surrender of American sovereignty. It is completely and wholly shredding the American Constitution, and it's something that the Biden administration apparently has an appetite for. The president of Mexico, President Obrador, recently announced that Secretary of State Tony Blinken, operating under Joe Biden, proposed, not responded to, but proposed, meaning it's his idea, or it's Biden's idea, it's the Biden admin's idea, the regime that we open all borders between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada, creating essentially a one-nation continent, a North American Union. Obrador said, and I quote, I think that Mr. Blinken spoke about consolidating the region of North America, and we agree on that, end quote. This plan, according to Gateway Pundit, would open our borders permanently to the drug cartels running Mexico today, and drug cartels, by the way, are in control, according to recent estimates by experts, they're in control of roughly 40% of Mexican territory. 
Nothing happens in Mexico without the drug cartel's approval. And that's what we would be welcoming to the United States. It is the latest insanity proposed by the Biden regime to permanently destroy this republic. Representative Matt Gates from Florida went on Tucker Carlson, and I think this was Friday. I believe it was Friday. He went on Tucker Carlson and responded to this in a way that, well, um, I think you'll agree with and that I can tell you I concur with. It means that the globalist left wants a homogenized North America because they don't think that much of the United States of America in the first place. I haven't gotten an answer, but it begs the question, why are we so friendly with Mexico anyway? They've cooked up more death in the Mexican mountains than any crazy mad scientist in Wuhan would have ever thought of. And it's hard to tell where the cartels end and the government of Mexico begins. They had a former president take a $100 million bribe from Sinaloa. They had a former defense chief function as the muscle for the cartel, one of their state-level attorneys general, sentenced to 20 years in the United States of America. But while they're sleepwalking to a war with Russia, they are actually surrendering American sovereignty to Mexico. And Canada's not much better. I don't want my constituents having to live under the socialist, tyrannical lockdowns enacted by Justin Trudeau Castro while their nephew's being poisoned by Mexican fentanyl. But that apparently is the globalist order that the Biden administration supports here as they give away our money and our chance of a brighter future overseas. That's a very concise and accurate summary. So... As I continue to remind everyone about November 8th, and as I continue to remind you about Saturday, it's still not too late to get one of the tickets, by the way, to the um, Battleground Talkers Tour on Saturday at the IX Center, and I'm looking forward to seeing you there. When we talk about we have a country to save, and when we talk about the fundamental transformation, i.e. destruction of the country if the Democrats take control or keep control, now you know what I'm talking about. For some, for some, they you know it's just politics and it's just political talk and it's just rhetoric and so on and so forth. People don't want to believe. What's the old saying? When you know, sometimes when people tell you who they are, you better believe them. Barack Obama told us who the Democrats were back in two thousand seven when he ran, in two thousand eight when he won, and he told us again in two thousand twelve when he won again. He told us who they were. They were anti-Americans who didn't like this country and its irredeemably racist past and its ongoing oppressive self. They didn't like this country at all, and it had to be changed. Fundamentally, at its foundational level, it had to be changed. Or, what's another word for change in the the, uh, thesaurus? Transformed. Had to be fundamentally transformed into something else. It had to end as it currently existed. Now, they spent eight years working toward that. They were going to spend another eight under the leadership of Hillary Clinton to continue and finalize it. And then Donald Trump got in the way. And now that they've stolen you know, the opportunity for Trump to try to you know, continue to rebuild the republic and drain the swamp, here we go, and we're two years into the next phase of the fundamental transformation. And... It's, it's laid bare for all to see, that fundamental transformation. They want to literally end the United States as you know it and I know it and give 
control or at least equal say in what we do and how we run this country to our neighbors to the north, which are full-on socialist, maybe communist, under the leadership of Justin Trudeau, and our neighbors to the south, who are under full control of violent drug cartels. Tony Blinken is the Secretary of State. Tony Blinken is the one making these proposals. It's not as if Trudeau called down to Biden and said, here's what we'd like to do. What do you think? And Biden said, well, we can think about that and talk about that. It's not like Obrador or the the drug cartels who allow him to remain president in Mexico contacted the United States and said, what do you think we form a, a union here with all of them? And Biden said, well, let's ponder that. It was Biden and Blinken's and the Biden administration's idea. They're the ones contacting the socialist slash communist Trudeau and saying, what do you think? They're the ones telling Obrador, hey, what do you think? Well, we'll, we'll just we'll, we'll completely erase the borders. We'll just have one massive continent. It'll be just like the EU, and boy, won't that be glorious. It'll be just like the European Union. No one will have sovereignty. No one will have the right to make decisions independently of the rest of the Union. Now, that may be fine in some countries. That may be fine for certain European Union members, although not all of them. But for some of them, it might actually benefit them. But when you are the largest, most powerful economy, the largest and most powerful military on all the face of the earth in the United States of America, you don't share that power and you don't share those resources with others who don't share, first of all, you don't share it at all. You never surrender sovereignty, um, as defined by our Constitution. But you certainly don't share it with communists on one side and drug cartel leaders on the other. But this is the, 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 the phase that we're in right now. So why am I bringing all of this up right now? Why did Matt Gates talk about it on, on Tucker on, on Friday? Because we're going to decide whether or not we want that on November 8th. Do you understand how important this is? This is about so much more than just, you know, you know, Republican versus Democrat bragging rights. Yay, we won! Or screaming into the night when you lose like the idiot libs. You know, this is about so much more than just two party battling for control and ideology. This is now about American survival. Do you understand that? When you vote to give the Republicans control of the House and the Senate, You are voting for the nation to survive. A lot of work to do to rebuild the damage done by the Biden administration. A lot of work. But you're voting to start that work. If you vote, if we vote as a country on November 8th, to allow the Democrats to maintain their majority in the the House and to keep even their 50-50, whatever you want to call the, the, the tiebreak majority in the Senate, If you do that, you are quite literally saying that we are okay with surrendering the republic. It will never, ever, ever be the same. Nothing in the rest of your life will be the same. And the nation that you leave to your children, we will will one day, God willing, we're looking down and not up. But there's no guarantee of that if we do this wrong. But one day look down from our perch 
in God's kingdom and look at the hell that we have left on earth for those uh, of the next generation, for your children and my children and our grandchildren. We will look down and we will rue and we will cry and we will feel deep shame if we don't do something about this now. And I'm not trying to be over the top here, but I truly don't believe I am. I truly do not believe it is over the top to say these things. If we don't get this done on November 8th, that is the future. The future is, do we need to go through the numbers? This is what we would be doing to our kids. In the last day of the Trump presidency, and this even includes the disaster that COVID caused in the last nine months of the Trump presidency, even with that, on the last day of the Trump presidency, we had 1.4% inflation. Under Biden, we've had 9.5%. Now it's at about 8.2%. Gas prices were 239 a gallon. Gas prices today are 388 a gallon. 30-year mortgage rates were 2.65%. Now they're 7.08%. Average rent price in America was 1625 the last day of the Trump presidency. Now average $2,039 per month. The NASDAQ was up 13,342. It's now down 10,829. The Dow has been a disaster under Biden over the course of the last six months. My IRA, your 401k, your 529 investments for your kids' college funds are all dying. Grocery prices increased 3.7%. The last day under Trump, they have increased 13.5% today. Electricity rose 1.5% under Trump. Electricity rose 15.8% now in two years of Biden. Real average hourly earnings increased 4% under Trump. They have decreased 2.8% now under Biden. If we don't do what needs to be done on November 8th, the country dies. I do not believe that to be an overstatement. If we do not do what needs to be done, the country dies. Our sovereignty is gone. The economy continues its collapse, and we never recover. Okay, it's 1028. Don't forget, coming up after the bottom of the hour, we are going to be talking with uh, Amy Kissinger. She is with the Ohio School Boards Association on the Board of Trustees there, and she's got some thoughts and some analysis of what happened on uh, uh, Wednesday last week when the um, uh, resolution introduced by board member, Ohio State uh, Board of Education member Brendan Shea, uh, had his resolution punted rather than uh, endorsed and approved. Uh, by a weak, cowardly, Republican-dominated Ohio Board of Education. It's simply unbelievable. I also want to remind you, because during my um, uh, discussion of that, I said I'm going to be telling everybody in every speech that I give over the course of the next three weeks, and I have a lot of them. I've got a lot of speaking engagements, a lot of uh, 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 places and audiences to address. <clears throat> One of them is coming up on Wednesday, and I want to invite you there. Uh, we're going to be uh, meeting at the... Uh, Calvin Center in the Hungarian Reformed Church on Wednesday. Uh, all conservatives and Republicans and patriots are invited uh, to this tremendous event. 
uh, West Shore Republicans, Lakewood conservatives, uh, kind of combining together. I'm going to be speaking, uh, and this is what's really cool. Not only will I be speaking at about 7 p.m. on Wednesday the 19th, I've got a couple of great people who are going to be with me when I'm done. Lee Weingart, the candidate for Cuyahoga County uh, Executive, who is just terrific, a great candidate, a real chance for some change in Cuyahoga County and the leadership uh, of Cleveland as well. And then former Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association president and current detective Steve Loomis will be speaking as well. This is such a great event. I'm very much looking forward to this. I want to say thanks to Keith Davey for the invitation uh, to be there. So this is the Lakewood West Park. I said West Shore. I beg your pardon. West Park, not West Shore. Uh, West Shore is a great group, too. This is Lakewood West Park Conservatives. I think I may have said that wrong. But, again, we're going to be at the Calvin Center Hall uh, in uh, in the Hungarian Reformed Church. It's from 6.30 to 8.30 on Wednesday, and I will be speaking along with Lee Weingart and uh, along with Steve Loomis as well. Uh, beverages and snacks will be served, but most importantly, ideas will be exchanged, and we will indeed continue to fire up and energize a very important voting movement and block uh, in advance of the November 8th midterms. So that's coming up on Wednesday. Obviously, the Battleground Tour is coming up on Saturday at the IX Center. If you don't have your tickets for that yet, they're paid for. You don't have to buy them. Just call or, excuse me, go online and claim them at whkradio.com. I'll be there. Curse and I will be there. Hugh Hewitt will be there. Um, Brandon Tatum will be there. And Eric Metaxas will be there. If you don't have those, those yet, get them. Like I said, I'm putting in the overtime, and you need to do the same. We all have a very, very important fight to, to, to a wage over the course of the next three weeks. 10.30 now, we'll get news. We'll come back and talk more about kids in Ohio and what's being done to them. Amy Kissinger will be my guest next day on 1420 Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Yes, absolutely. So the other side, they claim the mantle of compassion. They claim the mantle of love. But is it compassionate to affirm someone in an untruth? Do we do that in other areas? If a child, uh, there, there are other disorders out there, you know, I, uh, the tendency to, to want to cut off, chop off a body part. Do we, do we affirm the child in that? Do we say, yes, go ahead, you know, cut off your arm? No. You know, empowering children to flourish entails helping them to fully embrace and integrate reality. And, and so that's what I think we need to do for all children, including those who are suffering in this way. Uh, you know, the other side, they claim to be concerned about children's mental health. They frequently highlight that it's on the decline, and, and it is. Uh, my question would be, who has been at the helm? in recent years and decades? Who has had the influence of pushing certain things while uh, students and, and children's mental health has been on the decline? Uh, it's been the same folks that want to push the, the latest and greatest trend and fad in this area as well. That was uh, Brendan Shea, Ohio Board of Education, remember from my interview a few weeks back uh, before. It was right after he actually introduced his resolution. It finally reached what was supposed to be a vote for passage or for rejection on Wednesday at the latest board meeting. 
It was not voted upon, as we've been discussing. It was punted to the executive committee uh, and the cowards who were in charge uh, of the board, uh, particularly those who were appointed by Governor Mike DeWine, simply did not want to pass it. They were terrified of the political repercussions, perhaps, and they're willing to sell out girls and children and parents all together by not passing this very important, common sensible resolution. Joining me now to talk more about this, as mentioned, is uh, um, Amy Kissinger. Amy Kissinger is a board member, or excuse me, on the board of trustees of the Ohio School Boards Association. She is also a an Ohio District board member, uh, but she is not speaking on behalf of either either of those organizations as we discuss what happened in the Ohio Board of Education on Wednesday. Amy, thank you for coming on this morning. How are you? Thank you, Bob. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me today. It's my pleasure. So, you know, the first time I heard from you was at the end of September. You sent me a, a petition to act now and sign, uh, of course, uh, trying to urge uh, Governor Mike DeWine to get involved here and uh, try to maybe tell his uh, appointed board members in the Ohio Board of Education to reject these Title IX changes, adopt the resolution and reject these Title IX changes by the Biden administration. It was a common sense um, uh, petition, which I was happy to support. Uh, and since then, we've been watching this all play out. You've been very active. You've been very vocal. And um, I really appreciate all of your efforts. Unfortunately, Amy, they went in vain, uh, as did uh, everyone else who's been working very, very hard to protect kids. What was your reaction when you first found out on Wednesday that they were not going to vote on the resolution, but instead voted to kick it to a committee? Well, Bob, I have to be honest and say that I wasn't entirely surprised because we've watched for the past couple few years our supermajority Republican legislature and broad uh, panel of Republicans across the state not act in ways that are consistent with the base that they're supposed to be representing. Hopefully doesn't that doesn't sound too cynical, but... Um, I think we knew we were headed for an uphill battle. However, who thinks it's okay to neuter children and behind their parents' backs? Uh, it's just astounding that we're even having, having to have this conversation. And I think that even President Biden knows that it's ridiculous what he's trying to do because if his Title IX changes enjoyed broad-based support, he wouldn't have to take milk money hostage in exchange for it. People would want to do it if it was the right thing to do, but they don't, and he knows that. And that's why he's trying to coerce us. You know, it's, it's the um, epitome of the, the playground bully shaking the kid down for their lunch money, except now it's President Biden and he's shaking down local school board members. Yeah, that's a very, it's an astounding element of this entire situation. And for those who don't know what um, Amy is talking about right now, this is the part where the Biden administration said, if states don't adopt the new Title IX changes that are being put forth by the federal government and the, and the uh, federal Department of Education, uh, they will withhold funds for reduced and free school lunches for, for the poor kids of that state. Um, including the state of Ohio. And that's perhaps another one of the reasons why uh, some of the board members were reticent when it comes to supporting what, again, was a very common-sensible resolution. Have you had any contact with any of the board members themselves, um, Amy, and, and gotten any uh, idea of why they did what they did? Well, I have not been in, in touch with any of them who um, voted, as I would say, the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, very much the people who we support. You know, this should not be a partisan issue. It just should not be partisan at all. It, sh- it is common sense, as you continue to say. And um, I will say, though, that in discussing this with the current board members who voted to not send this to the committee discussion 
at that meeting and to make the decision at that meeting like they said they were going to. And this is still very much alive, and the battle continues. And you know, people need to know that President Charlotte McGuire stated her strong intention that this will emerge from the executive committee. So everyone needs to know that, and they need to not give up. They need to continue to email and contact all of these state board members, and especially focusing on the ones who are in the executive committee, but really not all of them. Continue to reach out to the governor and tell him that we really need for him to um, align his appointees to this position that their constituents are expecting, because we're not giving up on this. We're talking with uh, Amy Kissinger. Amy is a member of the Ohio or the Board of Trustees on the Ohio School Boards Association. She's also a member of the school board uh, for Cambridge City Schools. But she's speaking specifically as a a mom, right? Uh, more than anything, right? You're a mom. You got a twelve year old son. I know you have an adult son, but you also have a twelve year old son, right? Yes. Yep, I do. So, and, and you know, you mentioned to me, Amy, that. You're you're doing everything you can to try to help parents around the state who have been who have been harangued and who have been harassed and who have been uh, you know trying to speak out at local school board meetings on behalf of parents' rights, on behalf of kids' rights, on behalf of kids not uh, being uh, ostracized if they refuse to use a made-up word as a pronoun that is not part of the English language or the wrong pronoun which is not uh, correct and accurate in terms of uh, the you know the mechanics of language. You know, you're there's parents out there just trying to fight for the kids to have normal education. And that's kind of the the people that you're fighting for. Absolutely. You know, I experienced a lot of the same things sitting in front of the state board last week that I think some of our parents feel when they're sitting at their local school board members or meetings, that dead blank stare that comes back at them from their elected board members, refusing to speak, refusing to engage. The only thing they're really emphatic about is the timer because, you know, make sure you shut up when your three minutes or your five minutes is over, and that's it. You know, we may collect the largest portion of your property taxes on your tax bill, but, you know, this is your three minutes, and uh, you don't know if we heard you or not, because we're just going to stare back at you and not say anything. And people wonder why parents are running for school board seats now. People wonder why they're storming board meetings, and they're not going to take it anymore. We We brought this on ourselves. Amy, I want to read to you uh, a few lines from a letter that was written in 2016, uh, and I'm sure you're familiar with it, but um, I just want to get your reaction to it. Rather than heavy-handed federal bureaucratic action guaranteeing prolonged controversy and litigation over locker room regulation, we need to let our community sort out how to best advance the dignity and privacy interests of all students as appropriate to the differing contexts presented from one circumstance to the next. I urge you to take a step back and reconsider the unlawful and ill-advised federal decree that the Dear Colleague letter seeks to impose. If your departments act against our state, contrary to law, I will defend vigorously the interests of the state of Ohio. Again, the federal government does not need and is not empowered to make every decision for every social institution in our country. You know who wrote that? Oh, yeah. The same guy right now who's hiding from this because it's so perilously close to the election. How is that? Why is that? Uh, for those who don't know, those are the words I started some of this earlier on. Those are the words from Mike DeWine back when he was at Ohio Attorney General, and he actually had a spine. He actually had a backbone, and he actually did the right thing. He stood up to the Obama decree on restrooms and locker rooms and safe spaces and so on and so forth. Uh, he stood up to the federal government and their heavy-handedness and said, Ohio's going to do what's right for Ohio and what is right for all kids. Now, as the governor, he's silent. 
he could very much have an impact, right, on, on, on some of the Ohio board members that he appointed. If he issued a statement saying this is, this is where Ohio stands, that maybe we would have had a different outcome in that vote on, uh, on Wednesday, and maybe we would have actually had a vote for the resolution itself. Well, maybe he doesn't want to lie, because all we need to know about him, we can know by looking at his actions. We don't need to hear his words. Destroying local businesses, causing our loved ones to die alone in nursing homes, muzzling children for years, shutting down schools, causing them to suffer tremendous academic and mental health outcomes for our children. Uh, maybe he just doesn't want to lie, and that's why he's not going to speak to it, you know, that Thank goodness we have a write-in gubernatorial candidate in Marshall Usher who actually will stand up for kids. And, yes, I know that there's a lot of speculation as to how that even works and uphill battle, whatever. Yeah. I'm not going to vote for Mike DeWine. You couldn't hold a gun in my head and, and make me do it. I wasn't going to vote for him to begin with, so, you know, there's no split vote there. And I think there are a lot of people like that. And his continued behavior right now, siding with the left, appointing abortion doctors to run our Department of Health, shutting down churches and leaving abortion clinics open. Does he even know his base? That's a great question, and those are great points that you make. And I'm with you. I'm not voting for him either, and I'm working very hard to get uh, Marshall, uh, Marshall onto the program as soon as possible so we can talk about that. But but the reality is he's got a 20-point lead uh, or so over Nan Whaley, and that's why he doesn't right. want to rock the boat. He doesn't want to say anything even remotely controversial. Uh, he doesn't want to do anything that could put, if the feds do what their threat was and put the uh, you know the, the poor students' uh, you know nutrition on the table. So he's just going to sit there and be quiet. But what about the guy who holds the job? he used to have what about Dave Yost Amy uh, Dave Yost hasn't you know he could have done what what DeWine did as Attorney General six years ago and said hey we're not doing this again that might have carried a little bit of weight perhaps with some of the DeWine appointees on that Ohio school board well uh, there are 99 representatives in our state house 33 senators and exactly two people were at that state board meeting helping to carry the water on this representative Gary Clicks Representative Stolfitz, uh, where was everybody? That's a good not question, the most too. obvious issue of my lifetime. We're talking about making my girls, our girls, our daughters, share bathrooms with boys, making them have unfair competition on sports, and socially transitioning children behind the backs of their parents. Is that really a difficult issue to decide what side you stand on? Well, here's a question, Amy. Are we underestimating the power, the political power of the LGBTQ community? Because that's the only thing I can think of as to why only two members of the Ohio General Assembly showed up uh, to to speak on this or to show support for uh, the resolution. Because they're terrified, I guess, of... Um, you know, of, of, of whatever political power is wielded by these, uh, you know, these individuals. Uh, well, let's call them gaslighters, but really it's bigger than that. I mean, it, it was medical freedom, you know, a couple of years ago, whatever the issue is, it seems like there's a hesitancy to stand on the side with their actual constituents. But I don't think people should fall for this, thinking that it's as loud and horrific as, as maybe it's perceived to be. You know, when we sat there last week and listened to the testimony, um, I kept, you know, some chicken scratch, and a little over 40 people spoke in favor of Shay's resolution, about 30 spoke against it, and a good number of those 30 were repeats from the month before. So, you know, how powerful is that movement? Well, they couldn't even get a fresh batch of people there to testify, and let's let's separate the LGBTQ. The LGB community actually is mobilizing against this transgender 
That's right. There, yeah. <laughs> so there, there are. Uh, was that clean, John? Are we good, Johnny? Are we clean? Yeah, I, I stopped. Okay, I just wanted to make sure <clears throat> because yep. we would have to hit a, a dump there if not. Um, but yeah, no, that, that that's a great point um, in terms of the numbers of them. But but there has to be something that explains why they are afraid, why the uh, Republican dominated General Assembly is so afraid to come out here on behalf of all kids on what is right uh, without crossing. Uh, you know that uh, that that political movement, which is what it is. The LGBTQ community is a political movement. Um, we're talking with Amy Kissinger. She is a member of the board of trustees of the Ohio School Boards Association. Amy, I've got a caller on the other line who's more than a caller. He's been a guest on this program, and he's a strong advocate on Ohio of Ohio kids. In fact, he's on the board of Protect Ohio Children. Jonathan Broadbent, who said he's got oh, something great. to add. Yeah, he's got something to add to our conversation. So, Johnny, if you can Wonderful. lock in Amy and bring it, or I'm sorry, Marianne, and bring on Jonathan. Jonathan, can you hear us? Yeah, hey, John. Good, good to have you, man. Thanks for calling in. You said you got something to share. Let's hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for uh, for doing what you. Uh, this may not work. This may not work. John's phone. Jonathan, your phone is uh, breaking up badly. Um, I'll tell you what. I'm going to try to move. Am I clear or now? You're clear now. You're clear now. Yeah, go ahead. Fire away. I'm, I'm going to speak quickly while I, while my phone is clear. <laughs> so I just want to I want to highlight. The damage that continues to be done by the DeWine appointees—it's—it's—it goes beyond even just this issue. Um, you've touched on it a number of times in the past, Bob. But for your listeners, for their sake, you need to know that in 2019, that atrocious bill that allowed CRT to sneak into Ohio wouldn't have passed if it weren't for the DeWine appointees. And again, this past Wednesday, we have the the DeWine Governor's Office appointees to the state. Board of Education, the, the uh, Department of Education, are the ones that kicked this great resolution from Brendan Shea out into executive committee, putting it in purgatory indefinitely. Well, that's a very good point. And, and uh, you know, it, it's it kind of goes along with the General Assembly. Um, I've been talking about how they are Republican-dominated. They have a supermajority, but they act and govern like Democrats because they're terrified to use the power they have. Same thing is true with these appointees. And I'm glad you remind yep. us about CRT because it's gotten lost in the, you know, the, the, the gender, you know, gender queer movement or whatever it is that you want to call this that they are pushing on us. And either way, the kids lose. In both cases, kids are divided by, you know, pronouns or, you know, uh, 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 their, their, their sex, of which there is only two, and let's not forget. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. Or they're divided on black and white, oppressors <laughs> and victims in the CRT movement. Either way, our kids are the, are, are the victims in all of this, right? Yeah, I, I, just like, I just to want be... to know when we can talk about academics again. I mean, this is my seventh year as a school board member, and we hardly ever can get to the topic of academics. No, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. Uh, you know, school used to be about teaching. It used to be parents. It was a pretty good agreement, a pretty good contract that we had. Parents, I'll raise my children. Teachers, you educate my children. That's it. I'm not competent and qualified to teach advanced math and maybe even not science and maybe even not all of the rules of our language in an English class. And maybe I don't remember very much about Don Quixote and I can't teach uh, uh, literature. <laughs> but you can handle that part. I'll raise my kids and I'll talk to my kids about sex and i'll talk to my kids about sexual orientation and everything else when and if the time comes it becomes necessary how about that that used to be our agreement wasn't it jonathan yeah and definitely we need to get back to that that's a big push 
and a big part of the academic accountability project from Protect Ohio Children is to nudge the conversation back in the direction of focusing on education. Bring education back to schools. But really, just to, to sort of round out the point that I, I wanted to call in and make, and then I want to, out of respect for, for Amy's, just got tremendous insights. I want to um, be respectful of her time with you today. But the the I, I don't want to lose the idea. There's an initiative here that I think is starting to form around kicking DeWine off of education. Get him out of Columbus. Get, get DeWine's office um, out of the State Department of Education. The fact that he has so much power and influence over the decisions that are made, with two times that I pointed out of significant damage to education and we the people. Well, and you know, it's a great point, uh, Jonathan, and, and a key to that, of course, is the Ohio Republican Party. And, you know, Amy, I was going to ask you about that, too. The leadership of the ORP and the State Central Committee in the form of Chairman Bob Paduchik, he did no one any favors here either. He didn't talk to the man that he personally, specifically, hello, did I lose somebody? Yeah, I'm here. Broadbent is gone. Okay, Amy, we'll wrap it up here. Um, but... Um, you know, Bob Paduchik, uh personally made sure that an endorse or that uh, excuse me funds were given to the DeWine campaign even before an endorsement vote was held. So he essentially is in lockstep with Mike DeWine. Did he try to encourage Mike DeWine or and or Dave Yost to do something to influence the board members that were appointed by DeWine so that we can protect Ohio's kids? I think the the corruption or the lack of leadership or whatever you want to call it kind of goes all the way through Ohio leadership from the governor's office, the AG, and, yes, the uh, chair of the ORP. Hey, absolutely. And who can know? Who can know what's on their mind? But I doubt it's anything as righteous and as noble as our children because their, their fruit certainly doesn't bear any evidence to that. And you know, I think that they need to understand whatever's going to happen with this governor election, and I'm working super hard you know, for Marshall Usher because of all of these things we've discussed. But well, however it goes down, and, oh, God, we'll end up with a Democrat. Well, no, we won't, but we already have one. And the Ohio Republican Party owes its base a candidate that adheres to the principles of the party. So this is on them. They very obviously breached that commitment, and the consequences from this point on belong to them. I'm a proud Republican, but I'm not going to be complicit to this anymore. No. And they're going to continue to bleed good people from the party if they don't figure it out. No, I completely concur. You know, and it just kind of begs the question as parents, you know, sometimes we're probably looking into the air and saying, who's on our side? If the Democrats are on our side and the Republicans who run this state on our, our side and on the side of our children, who in the heck do we turn to? And the answer really is each other. We just have to continue to be as active as possible uh, and influence people as much as possible, going to board meetings and so forth, because if they're not going to look out for us, if yes. neither of the parties and in the state are going to look out for us, we have to do it ourselves. No, they're not. And to that end, this is the biggest threat to public education right now. This Title IX expansion, this continued erosion of parents' rights, this is the biggest threat to public education. So I don't know what their end game is, but if they want to dismantle it, they can keep going this direction. You're a fighter, and I love the fight that you're waging, and I appreciate you bringing it to me. Keep me posted on new developments, Amy, and we'll bring you back on and talk about it because you're right. I concur. This is the most uh, important issue that we're dealing with in education right now, this attack on our kids by way of these changes to Title IX. Nothing is bigger. Thank you very much, Amy Kissinger. We appreciate that. Thank you, Bob. All right, it's uh, 1059. We'll take a time out here for news. We'll come back a little late on the other side on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. 
This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three is underway. Good morning, nine minutes after 11 o'clock. If you just tuned in, where you been? What are you doing? You're late. I'm going to dock you for that. Uh, but in all, in all seriousness, I appreciate you tuning in when you do. And if you have been here all along or for parts of the last two hours, thank you for that as well. Certainly appreciate the opportunity to speak with you, especially since I missed you over the course of the last uh, five, six days. I was gone Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then, of course, we had ourselves a weekend, and now we're back. Thank you once again uh, to uh, some of the best... <laughs> Some of the best talk show guest hosts that I think in the they're in the business. Certainly in Northeast Ohio and probably far beyond that. Had some really really great uh, reviews. I always get great reviews from people. I don't even ask for them. I'm not keeping tabs. I'm not, you know, hey, grading my my guest hosts and saying, hey, how did they do? I have people reaching out to me uh, by way of email and text. People who have my number anyway. And telling me how much they enjoy these guys. So thank you to Rob Walgate. Thank you to Pete Kersenow. And thank you to Khalid Namar. Uh, terrific, terrific people. Always, um, it's comforting to know I can put the show in their hands uh, when I'm away. So uh, it is the 17th morning of the 10th month of the year of our Lord 2022. If you do not have your tickets for the um, Battleground Talkers Tour coming up at the IX Center on Saturday, time is dwindling. There are still tickets to be claimed. They are paid for. Thankfully, we have a massive, massive venue uh, at the IX Center. <clears throat> and so we have a lot of room for a lot of people. There's going to be hundreds of people there. I want you to be there. Uh, just claim your ticket now. It's paid for thanks to the sponsorship of our uh, uh, event at uh, whkradio.com, whkradio.com. Come and see me and Pete and Hugh and Eric and Brandon, Brandon Tatum. We're all going to be there, and we're all going to be uh, strategizing and energizing to get out the vote uh, momentum to carry us through November 8th. It is just as simple as I said earlier on in the program. If we don't get this done, our country never survives. Can I be more plain? Can I be more clear? Can I be more correct? I don't think so. I think it's as plain and as clear, and it's as accurate as you can ask for. It's all true. If we don't win the majority in the House and in the Senate, if Joe Biden has two more years to do two more years of damage than he's already done in two years, we won't recover. You want the country to survive, you vote red, and you get out there and you take other people who are registered legal voters to vote only once. You see, I have to kind of phrase it like that so that I don't let you get you, you know, lead you to think that we're like Democrats where we cheat. I don't want to say vote early and vote often. They do that. They do that. 
We don't vote often. You can vote early if you want, but we don't vote often. You only get one. But you can indeed make sure that other individuals who maybe are a little hesitant, I don't want to stand in line, I don't want to drive to the Board of Elections and vote early, those are the people you tug on the ear and you say, let's go, we're going to vote. Tell them, make them, get them there because it is just that crucial. Uh, so we're going to continue to uh, strategize, and I've got a lot of different places where I'm going to be uh, sharing that message. I'm going to be sharing it on Wednesday uh, with the Lakewood West Park Conservatives. I'm going to be sharing it on the Hugh Hewitt Show on Thursday. In addition to this show, I'll be at the Battleground Talkers Tour. I've got so many events coming up here, and I'm just going to get out there and spread the uh, message as quickly, and, or not as quickly, but as loudly and as uh, clearly as I possibly can. And I hope you're, uh, hope you're ready for that fight. So briefly... <clears throat> I want to hit uh, something that Jonathan Broadbent uh, brought up in the conversation we just had with Amy Kissinger, because we've been talking about the, you know, the gender queer movement uh, and the attempt to try to turn kids into something that they're not, and that's literally what it is. There is a massive movement afoot to try to make kids think that if they don't become something other than what they are, that they are going to be the outcasts, straight white kids in particular. Um, are going to be ostracized because you're not cool, you're not like us, you didn't become something else, you didn't declare yourself to be something uh, other than what you are from a gender standpoint or from a mental standpoint or, or whatever. Uh, 20% of, 20, 21 I think was the number, 21%, ponder that, of the kids in the Gen Z or Gen Zers, most of whom are kids, now declare themselves to be uh, some sort of LGBTQ. Something in that, in that uh, weird alphabet soup. I'm one or the other of those. I'm, I'm, I'm not just a normal person with normal uh, mental acceptance of who I am and what I am. I'm, I'm, I'm something different. And they do that because they are literally being coerced by groomers. So anyway, we had this conversation uh, with uh, Amy and then Jonathan called in about it to remind us about the damage that was done to this state uh, by and the kids in this state by Mike DeWine when it comes to CRT, critical race theory. That was another part of this. And there's a piece that I wanted to share anyway, so it just kind of times up perfectly to remind ourselves this is another part of the fight. When we go to vote for Republicans in the midterms on November 8th, and we go to vote to make sure that J.D. Vance is indeed the next senator to replace Rob Portman and probably be a huge improvement over Rob Portman, uh, in a variety of ways. And that's not to say Rob Portman hasn't done some great things. He has. Um, particularly his support for the World War II Veterans Memorial uh, and the uh, addition of the D-Day prayer to that, something we talked about with Chris Long before I left last week. Uh, but anyway, we need to make sure that we're doing better than that. We need to make sure that we have a, a truer conservative uh, in that seat. And I think J.D. Vance is going to be that guy. We've got to make sure that Max Miller gets to Congress. We've got to make sure that Jim Jordan remains in Congress. We've got to make sure that we win as many of these races as we possibly can to take the majority back and try to protect and save this country. And one of the things we're saving it from, again, is the continuing racial division that is being done at the school level. So dialing right back into our conversations with Amy and Jonathan, uh, as it pertains to CRT. Little white kids are being taught 
that they are descendants descendants of slave owners, and as such, they are white privileged oppressors of people of darker skin. And little dark colored skin kids are saying, uh, are being told, "You're a victim. The color of your skin is darker, and so therefore, you're always going to be victimized by those kids with the uh, colored skin that is lighter." And so if the color is light, they're going to oppress you forever. And because your color is dark, you're going to be oppressed forever. And that's just the way that it is. So we have to find a way to unwhite these white people and try to do some, uh, to lessen some of the damage they can do to you. Now, by the way, it's recess time. Go play. Now, I, I use that all the time. They're going to spend all of this time in class separating the kids by race, oppressors from victims, and then say, okay, go play, and then expect them to somehow get along. Really? It's seriously dangerous. So this piece about conformity I want to share a few lines from, from Restoring America. Proponents of critical race theory continue to frame resistance to it in the classroom as being racist. In an interview with Education Week, Margaret Thornton, who is an assistant professor at Old Dominion University in Virginia, characterized opposition to critical race theory as a white lash and a racist attempt to silence educators. She insists that in spite of these attacks, she'll keep teaching the truth about oppression in the United States. The problem with this sort of attack is there's a lot more to critical race theory than just teaching historical historical oppression, such as slavery and Jim Crow. It's this more that should worry everyone, parents of any race, and especially parents of aspiring entrepreneurs. Of particular concern, critical race theory activists often reject the idea of individuality. In her uh, critical race theory book called White Fragility, Robin D'Angelo rejects the ideology of individualism. What does that mean? What does she mean by individualism? Briefly, it means individualism holds that we are each unique and can stand apart from others, even those within our social group. The problem is that an individualistic streak is essential to being an entrepreneur. In Individualism, a Deeply American Philosophy, the authors point out that the greatest entrepreneurs in U.S. history were deeply individualistic. They were mold breakers. And the individualistic mindset um, is one that the proponents of critical race theory are trying to tamp down. They're trying to crush it. You can't be an individual. If you're black, you're a victim. Stop thinking you can rise above your blackness and your victimhood and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and become something else. You'll always be a victim. There is no individual here. You are a part of a collective, and that's the way that it is. And if it's what you're white, I don't care if you're an Antifa white, somebody carrying Black Lives Matter signs, thinking that you're all moralistic and virtuous. You're still a white devil. You're still an oppressor. You are still a part of the white supremacy movement that has kept so many uh, uh, people with darker skin, you know, in 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 perpetual poverty and uh, with fewer rights in their of their entire lives. That's what they're trying to crush: is individualism. In other words, what CRT is about here is conformity to the group. Think, Steve Jobs. Um, in his uh, uh, Think Different ad campaign in the late 1990s, talked about the individualistic mindset. If you're told it's wrong to see yourself as unique or standing apart from your social group, what are the odds you're going to grow up to think differently? What are, you, what are the odds that you're going to grow up to do something extraordinary? If you're being taught in schools that you're not different, that you're always going to be a part of this group, 
and that's your limitation, then how are you going to expand upon that or from that? The odds get even lower when you factor in how critical race theory is actually taught. If the essence of entrepreneurship, for example, is to think different, the core of critical race theory might be described as make sure you think like us. Prominent critical race theory advocates explicitly reject the notion of critical thinking. That is, developing the individual toolkit to think for yourself. Dr. Allison Bailey, director of the Women's and Gender Studies Program at Illinois State University, I just get a chuckle out of the fact that there are gender, women's and gender studies programs that you can major in and then expect to get a job. Uh, explain the logic. Quote, the tools of the critical thinking tradition, for example, validity, soundness, and conceptual clarity, fail because the critical thinker's toolkit is commonly invoked in particular settings at particular times to reassert power. Those adept with the tools often use them to restore an order that assures their comfort. So essentially what they're saying uh, is that some, she's saying, some people in power might outthink critical race theory advocates and therefore we need to reject critical thinking completely. Does that make sense? Some people in power might outthink critical race theory advocates. Therefore we have to reject critical thinking. Just shut up. And go along with what we're telling you. Stop trying to overthink it or outthink it or explain it away. No, just go along with the group think. If you reject critical thinking in your students, what are you left with? If students can't think critically, if they're not allowed to think individually, you're left with nothing but indoctrination. In the UCLA Law Review, Critical race theory, this is according to the UCLA Law Review. This is big. Critical race theory engages students in social activism to defy majoritarian supremacy, end quote. Think about what that says. You can't be individual. You must be a part of an activist group to defy majoritarian supremacy. Minority status must be considered first and foremost is what they're saying rather than your individual thoughts your status as a group a member of the minority group trumps all education has traditionally taught students how to think but critical race theory advocates such as Bailey seem to envision something different a way to create activists who all see the world in a certain way and will fight for the causes their teachers tell them to care about It's hard to imagine a pedagogy less conducive to molding and encouraging young entrepreneurs. The tragedy of all this is that it's coming at a time when young people are already struggling and the U.S. is in dire need of innovators and creative thinkers. They're not being allowed to. Due to a variety of factors, Generation Z is one of the least entrepreneurial in American history. And if we want to regain our status, we need to start teaching young people the same rugged individualism that we once taught in this country, teaching kids to eschew critical thinking, reject the uh, individualism, and never step outside the bounds of approved thought is not going to get us anywhere. We need to re- uh, replace that thinking with the old thinking. Think for yourself. Be an individual. Rise above whatever lot in life you think that you may be restricted to. And that is how we advance. That's how we advance as individuals, and that's how we advance then collectively as, as a society. Critical race theory gender queer theory all of it is being used in our schools to indoctrinate our kids into groups into group those uh, engaging in group think 
and thus putting us all in, in a very serious state of jeopardy. 216-901-0945, In case you can't tell, I think this midterm election cycle is going to be decided by mostly two things, maybe three. The inflation and economy, or inflation and economy issues. Educational issues, like what I just said, CRT and gender queer theory. And crime. It's not going to be decided by abortion. It's not going to be decided by any of the... Uh, uh, you know, Green New Deal nonsense. It's not going to be decided by any of the pet projects or the uh, victim mentality that is perpetuated by the Democrats. It's not going to be decided by identity politics. It's going to be decided on what's happening in your family, what's happening in your schools, and are you safe to walk on your streets? I'll be back. Don't have time to call in? Try the sound off feature on alwaysright.us and make your voice heard. It is 11.28. We'll squeeze in a call here before the bottom of the hour. BJ is in North Olmstead. BJ, good morning. Go ahead. Can't Can't hear BJ. BJ, if you can hear me, sound off, good sir. If not, we are going to make sure that we get you up first on the other side of the news break. Yeah, looks like we dropped him or lost him or something or another. Uh, had to happen there. Uh, we will take you first on the other side of the news, BJ. Call back two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. I want you to tell me if you agree with me, by the way, <clears throat> that these um, midterm elections and power in the Congress will be decided on three top issues, the three top issues that I just listed. I truly believe they are, number one, money, the overall economy, which is now in uh, 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 a recession, and number two, the uh, uh, inflation aspect, how much you know, you're know you spending on your groceries and your food and your clothing every week. Number two is schools, education, what is being done to your kids, CRT, gender queer theory, indoctrination, and beyond, parents' rights. And then number three, crime, which is out of control, thanks to soft on crime, left-wing mayors, councils, uh, prosecutors, and judges. It's all over the country. I think those are the three top issues. That's not to say abortion doesn't matter. It does. That's not to say the border doesn't matter. It does. That's not to say First Amendment and Second Amendment rights matter. It don't matter because they do. But I'm just giving you my top three. Tell me if you agree or if you disagree. What are your top two or three issues that are going to make you vote Republican or, dare I say, Democrat, in this November 8th midterm elections, in these elections. 216-901-0945. You tell me on the other side. Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. Okay, 1138. You know, when you hear me play this... Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. And I play it as often as I can because it's true and it needs to be repeated again and again and again. And nobody says it more directly and more clearly and more plainly than Pastor Mark Robinson. But if you think that that's all he says, that he's, that he's not a deeply uh, thoughtful and introspective and brilliant man, then you, you need to make sure you're paying attention. Pastor Mark Robinson also happens to be the lieutenant governor of the state of North Carolina. 
and he was on recently with Dan Bongino on Fox News, uh, responding to the issue of race uh, uh, impacting voter disenfranchisement or voter de- uh, suppression, according to those on the left, particularly Stacey Abrams. So he was on with Bongino, and he was responding to Stacey Abrams, who was on a different show, saying this. Why do you think there's a perception of some disconnect between you and this very important voting group? I think it's a manufactured crisis designed to suppress turnout. Suppress turnout? Uh, sir, uh, I, I always find this to be rather racist, suggesting that black voters somehow can't figure out how to vote. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's not even covertly racist. It's overtly racist. Absolutely. The soft bigotry of uh, low expectation uh, is not soft. It's as hard as a, as a punch. It's as devastating and, and has been as detrimental in the black community as a stick of dynamite uh, chucked from the Ku Klux Klan. I mean, this, this stuff is ridiculous. To suggest that the people who survived the Middle Passage, uh, survived uh, the, the, the horrors of slavery, and then survived Jim Crow, now have reached a point where they can't go down to the DMV to get a free ID to secure their votes. Not only insulting, it's ridiculous. And uh, we've got to push back against that narrative. It's just, it's a false narrative meant to continue this propagation that black folks are victims and that they need the Democratic Party to supply them with what, uh, for everything that they need. That's a falsehood. We know it's not true, and we've got to push back against that narrative. I love it. I love Pastor Mark. I would vote for Pastor Mark if I could vote for Pastor Mark, but he's in uh, he's in North Carolina. Like I said, he's the lieutenant governor there. And I just, uh, I heard that clip. I wanted to share it. <clears throat> Because, uh, like I said, he's so much more than just my favorite soundbite ever. And I really do. I think uh, Ain't But Two Genders has passed Can You Dig It? It's my favorite soundbite to play on this radio show. Uh, let's go back to the uh, telephones. We don't have a ton of time here, but we'll do what we can. BJ in North Olmstead is back. We lost him on a cell phone before, but we got him now. Go ahead, BJ. Yes, Bob. I would like you to pontificate this coming week, if you might. And what do you think the motivation is of all these things that you see that either the leftists or whatever we want to call them is trying to do ultimately to this country? What do you perceive as their, their goal? What do they see in their future of what this land and the people in this country are to become? And you've laid out a lot of, a lot of thoughts today precisely if you spend a few days or whatever i would like your opinion and your audience's opinion of what you believe the ultimate goal is that they're trying to do to this nation maybe this planet but mostly to the united states of america if you would give that some thought i would appreciate and thank you for your time bob yeah thank you i don't need a few days i mean i i I guess i do because i say it over the course of days and weeks and months and so on and so forth i think i've been relatively relatively clear about it i'll give you the thumbnail version of it thumbnail sketch version of it uh... they want to destroy this country as it exists the only way to do that is to tear it down and divide it from within the only way to do that is to scare people and to intimidate people. And when you see the attack on police, when you see the attack on people, when you see violent crime rates, you have people desperate and willing to pretty much do or say anything. You have, when you attack people and their ability to provide for their families, when you attack people and the, uh, uh, with, uh, with uh, inhibiting the ability for them to, uh, to uh, uh, make a good, strong wage and, uh, and take care of themselves, when you attack people, 
by way of opening up the southern border. These things all have something in common. And the and, and it creates fear and intimidation in the minds of the people. And when you do that, and when you have people afraid of the other race through the division that they continue to foment, that creates fear and intimidation in the minds of the people. When people are afraid, what do they do? They look for help. Somebody help me. Who's going to help me? I can't do this myself. I can't live for myself. I can't fight for myself. I need somebody to help me. And who do they turn to? In your child, who do you turn to? You turn to your daddy, right? Turn to mommy and daddy, but definitely daddy to help protect them. Well, big daddy government is what socialism looks like. Big daddy government is what Marxism looks like. Big daddy government is what communism looks like. And if you want to give the power to the government, which is what those models of government do, and those models of the of economy uh, and economic theory do, if you want more power to be in the hands of the government and less in the hands of the people, all you do is scare the bejesus out of the people. Intimidate them, uh, deny them knowledge and education and information, change history, rob them, steal from them, attack them, kill them, violent crime, erase their borders. All of these things make people look for help. Who is going to help me? The government's going to help you, of course. Going to provide you with free health care, free in quotation marks, going to provide you with all of your needs. They are trying to build a socialist slash communist what they believe to be utopia, which would be devastating for all of us. That, BJ, is, in my opinion, their end game. That's it for today. Thanks, everyone. I appreciate you being a part of the show. We'll see you tomorrow with Personnel. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.